0: gather around my friends it's time for another interview on growing up punk If you go back to the late '90s, early 2000s, and you were growing up in the Christian punk scene, as we've talked about a few times, uh, you would remember—you would remember a band that was never on Tooth and Nail, was maybe a little underappreciated, but uh, a fantastic, influential band all the same. Today, Aaron interviews Rich and Travis of sick of change but before we get to that let's uh, get all that social media stuff out of the way of course you could follow the show on instagram at growing up punk you can follow us on twitter at growing punk pod you can follow myself on instagram and twitter at david growing up and aaron the guy who you're about to hear do this interview you can follow him on instagram as well at aaron grew up punk but without further ado it's rich and travis chatting with aaron I said that wrong. It's Aaron chatting with Rich and Travis of Sick of Change.
1: Our
2: We've got Travis and Rich from the Amazing Sick of Change on the show. Welcome to the show, guys.
3: Uh, thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. Appreciate yeah, I'm it. Rich, and that's Travis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Travis. So <laughs> I guess I, I
2: should have said there's a, there's two people on this on this episode this time. So we got a Travis who has bass, is that correct, and Rich Drums? Yep. yep. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, if you're not uh, aware of the band Sick of Change, then you are, are missing out. They were an amazing um, melodic skate punk band from the late 90s, early 2000s, and uh, a band that I feel didn't get nearly the, the recognition that they deserved. And so I'm really excited to have you guys on and just kind of hear a bit of your story and and what happened and what was. And so, yeah, let's maybe let's just start by um, kind of talking about how you guys got into music what the music scene was was like were you guys you guys are from fontana california
3: uh that's actually where we just had some um we had a peel box my dad used to have a peel box in fontana but um when my brother and i started the band we we're living in rialto which is the next city over oh, okay um and yeah and then travis is from riverside
2: Oh, okay, sweet. I'm just kind of going off of uh, the liner notes, which is about 25 years old here. So yeah,
3: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, I don't know, not not quite 25. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess that was on
2: 2001. So
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: whatever the math is on that, but
3: Eight, 18. Yeah, <laughs> crazy.
2: Yeah. So what what was that like growing up there, and what what got you guys into music? And so if you just want to kind of one at a time to share about that, that'd be awesome.
3: Tra- Trav, you can go first.
2: Yeah. Okay. So, right
1: around that time, I mean, life was pretty basic. It was pretty basic. It was For me, it was just about hanging out with friends after school, skateboarding, uh, <laughs> and just you kind know, of um, living the simple life. Um, I had, you know, before I had met, I don't know how fast I jumped everything, but before I had met the guys in Sick of Change, um, I was actually in like an old school punk rock band. Uh, and we were just, about you know days in the garage uh just putting together music and uh we didn't even have any expectations of doing anything we just uh, were having fun with it so um so yeah so i guess i mean that's a way into probably you know the story of, of what they were at to. but for me um i was hanging with friends um
3: you know being a little punk a skate kid <laughs> yeah hey travis remember the first first time we met you remember that uh, I do
1: remember it i I think I remember it. I kind of like there's like two times we met, but one of them was like a slick shoe show. or are you talking about before that
3: uh that was that the slick shoe show which
1: what show was that? or maybe I ran into you guys like I had met you once before
3: and then I ran into you guys at a slick shoe show. I think that's how it went, okay. went down i think to I think the first my first memory was we played a house party together. In um, Rancho Cucamonga for one of uh, Andrew's high school friends or something. That's why I thought maybe we met okay. first. You know what? Yeah, that makes sense. Rich yeah. has always had the better uh, memory. <laughs> by the way, he's way better. Girl, so. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I think that that's how I. That's what I remember on my end, but because um, I was trying to, you know, jog my memory. Uh, before this for doing you know the interview just to kind of try and see if i can remember as much as i could but yeah i think i remember yeah i just thinking like man you guys they're really good they're really good old school punk rock i really liked how tight you guys were or we all did and um and liking travis's bass playing is what gets him into the band later on <laughs> 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 um but for me um i started playing drums at the age of 16 so it would have been junior high school um and I think that th- I always liked music and I think my early recollections were like the 80s and like U2 and the police mm. and I've always like been um I guess I've always had it my anchor as far as music has always just been just just rock rock and roll music period not yeah. so much just punk but um, and as I got older, um, when I was in high school, I think I was a freshman and Dookie came out Yeah, and, classic. um, class, yeah, classic, uh, you know, gateway in, um, and that's just kind of, that's what really made, made me, want to play music. It's like, I never really thought about doing it before that. And then that record came out and it changed everything for me. So, um, but yeah just that's just got what got me started um, and mxpx kind of at the same time as well because I think pocanacha and tukey came out in the same year 94 I think so
2: yeah
3: yeah, could be yeah.
2: yeah yeah and that's what's so cool about punk music especially you know those those two albums in particular when you listen to them there's not really anything complicated about them and so you know I, I'm kind of in the same boat when I heard those albums you know, it's fathomable to say, okay. Like I understand that I can play it. There's no, you know, crazy solos or, you know, yeah. I mean, MXPX had some fast drumming, but it wasn't anything super technical, and so right, it was an easy I, I, way to kind of get into it.
3: And I think that's what probably um, really brings people in is that kind of music. It's just a lot of attitude, um, simple songwriting, like you were saying, nothing crazy. Um, but once slick shoes came around with like the technical side, I don't think me, my brother, and I had really ever heard anything like that. But I think that's what we both gravitated towards. Yeah. Once we knew that, oh, that's possible. Like you can actually write like really cool leads and technical stuff. And I think that's, I think punk got us in. But then once bands like that started coming into the forefront, that's where we realized like that's what we really liked.
2: So, yeah, yeah, that was. I mean, I remember hearing uh, Rusty for the first time, and yeah, same thing. You know, I'd i listened to, you know, like Green Day, mm. MXPX before that, but that was a whole, a whole different ball game. I remember putting that on and just being so blown away and thinking mm. that like this is what I wanted. I just didn't know what what it was I wanted. Exactly. Yeah. I heard it and, yeah, so good. So yeah, had makes you, sense to me. Yeah. Had you seen bands like that live? Like, was there? What was the music scene like? kind of, you know, in high school when you guys started playing music?
3: You can go, Jeff.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, for me, for me, it's funny because as you're talking about, you know, Dookie and you brought a poking at you, I mean, it's so nostalgic because I started thinking about where I was at. And, you know, I just heard, like, I was hanging out with, like, just from the, you know, my old school punk rock band. Um, one of the guys I skateboarded with his name was Tim Mendes and he had a drum set in his garage. And so like, I remember one of the first times I went over to his house and he had a drum set and I was like, you know, what could he play? And then I asked him like, if he could play a punk rock. Beat. Um, and he like killed it. He was like the first guy that could do that. I saw do like the double kick yeah. on the base. Like they're really fast. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, dude. I was like, we have a drummer. <laughs> like, you know, I was that's like, funny. this is sick, you know, like, us, and I was back then, like, I literally had a guitar and it was like one of those situations where somebody's like, well, we need a bass player. And then I was like, well, I'll just sell my guitar to get a bass because we already had like somebody else that had a guitar, you know, so it's like, I literally played bass. The only reason I played bass is because we needed a bass player. So it's like, yeah, I rose it's, my ha- raised my hand, you know, I'm like, yeah. I'll, I'll do that part. So, yeah. Yeah, like that that time period just like yeah, fast hard driving music was like awesome and that's what we all were listening to.
3: Yeah, it's funny how many how many bass players actually start out on guitar. So, yeah, that's if you if you watch a lot of behind the music or, you know, anything uh if you're learning about how bands form, it's, it's, it seems like it happens a lot. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, and another another great thing I love about punk is you know I've heard that so many times where it's like, oh I you know, I just kinda picked up an instrument and kind of learned learned it just by jamming and playing. And again, you know, in different you think of, you know, say like metal, it's not like, oh, I just picked up a bass and started, you know, shredding metal on it. Right? Like those things yeah. you kind of have to know what you're doing. So I'm not saying you don't when you play punk, but I just love yeah. that about that, right? Just the rawness. It's like, you know, you put on poking at ya, You know, the album Seldon's pretty bad but you know they kind of figured it out knew what they were doing and it still still is a cool record even though it you know isn't like amazing musicianship or whatever but
3: right because the songs were good and the, and they were tight that i i remember actually thinking about Puganacha, like yeah this doesn't really sound like good but these guys are really good so i, I mean i just kept listening to it yeah so yeah I, I mean if if they were sloppy it would have been like listening to a germs record or something
2: right <laughs> do you guys remember kind of what it was or what band it was that you saw that kind of really piqued your interest or a band that just stood out?
3: Oh man. Did you guys Uh, get lots
2: of tours coming through there or what what was the kind of landscape like there for that?
3: Yeah. You, yeah. You know, it's kind of the greater Los Angeles area and Orange County area. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that comes through. I'm just trying to think, I think, I think one of my favorite bands to go see around like 98, 99 was probably AFI.
4: Yeah. Awesome.
3: And, uh, I think strung out as well.
4: Mm, yeah. another a good one.
3: Um, yeah. So, but I don't, and that was all I was really into at that time. It's like, it was like punk or hardcore or whatever it wasn't. I didn't listened to so much or like other music. But, um, at that time, that's really the bands that when I went to go see them live, it was like, wow you know these guys are really a lot of energy it's tight it sounds good you know so
2: yeah well, What was yeah. the uh, the dynamic like kind of in your home life with with music like were your your family's into music did they care that you know you guys were listening to you know aggressive music so to speak and <laughs> or what was that was that a thing or was it just kind of just a part of part of family life yeah
1: so i mean i guess I would say for me, my dad was always a huge, huge music person, uh, and it was always really funny too because my dad was kind of tone deaf. So, like, he like love music and sit in the living room with headphones on and sing, and my mom and I would totally bust stuff because like <laughs> which, he like not be on key, but he loved music so much, um, and he was and he loved drums and he like always listened to Phil Collins, yeah, and, oh, man. like air in the night type of stuff like the drums coming in it would be like so loud and you could hear it in that headphones like across the living room
3: that's funny Trav, because i was thinking of your dad and i'm like i can't picture that happening
1: yeah no he was huge and he had like a huge record collection so yeah i mean i definitely was brought up around you know a dad at least my dad really liked music i mean my mom was always listening to music and stuff um but my dad i was like yeah right on <laughs>
3: <laughs> um f- for me it's it's actually really weird because i didn't find out until i was probably in high school that my mom was a huge beatles fan and but they never my mom and my dad they just never listened to music while i was mm. growing up yeah the only way the only way i found out about that stuff was um they would dropped me off at my grandparents' house and I had aunts and uncles that weren't there. I think my aunt was probably like nine or 10 years older than me. And then my uncles were probably like 14 or 15 years older. And this was at a time where I was probably like five or six. So, you know, they're in their late teens, early twenties or whatever. <laughs> so, um, I got exposed to whatever they were listening to.
4: Yeah.
3: So there was a lot of, like I said, you know, a, I think I mentioned you, you too in the police, you know, um, as a reference, and that a lot of that had to do with them. Um, I think visually, the first thing where it clicked was they they uh, rec- they copied the 1985 Live Aid performances. Remember, they had that big concert, oh, yeah. and I remember my aunt always playing over and over. She would always play U 2s Bad. They played a bad live there, and just Bono dancing with the girl at the end of the song, and just it just like emotionally like like I heard music before that, you know, audibly, but then to see things uh, visibly, it really hit a nerve. And that's when music really started to creep into my life and little by little, um, uh, you know, just being exposed by my, you know, my aunts and my uncles. And then eventually being able to get cassettes of my own, um, and being raised in the church, uh, I wasn't allowed to listen to secular music, like per se, like as far as you know, having my own collection. So,
4: yeah,
3: I I listened to like the Ultra Boys and Undercover, um, Mad at the World. um, You know, some of those like early eighties, mid eighties, late eighties, like Orange County groups. So, yeah,
1: yeah, that's that's so interesting that Rich brings that up. That's actually really funny because I remembered. I remember my parents putting like limits on music that I could listen to as well. Mm-hmm. Like they wouldn't want, yeah, because if there was like a lot of cussing and stuff in music, like my parents yeah. would screen the music. I just think yeah. it's so funny because like I don't think sometimes I feel like parents don't do that anymore. But maybe it's just because I'm not around a lot of parents. <laughs> <but>.
2: Yeah, <laughs> man, I, I've been, uh, I'm in the same boat with that. That like I just get such a kick out of hearing that story. I'm glad I wasn't the only one. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and to to our parents, um, you know, um, they they didn't have any context for what that stuff was. You know, I, I remember back then just being so like frustrated with them, but to them, you know, they had nothing to to compare it to, right? They just right, and so I mean, I still bug my parents all the time about just like you, you tried to stop me, but now look what I like, and <laughs> you know, and then, yep. and then they saw, you know, okay, it's not so bad. He's got a healthy outlet, and he's using it for. <laughs> For good or whatever, but so when, yeah. when did that change? Like when you were, was it just you got to an age where your parents just didn't care anymore? They just couldn't control that part, and so you just kind of started listening to uh, kind of whatever.
3: Well, I, I knew this was going to come up, <laughs> so I was trying to trying to think. Like um, I believe I just started um, like. Once I got a Walkman or a Discman, yeah, it's like it, it's like just put the headphones on, <laughs> yeah. and just and just play whatever I wanted. So uh, I think, so I think Dookie and Smash by The Offspring were the ones that I listened to, like like hoping you know Mom doesn't you know walk in the door even though I have my headphones on. <laughs> right. I'm I'm afraid she's gonna be like, "What are you listening to?" You know, <laughs> oh. and I, and I won't and I won't be able to, to lie and say like, "Oh, it's you know it's something that she would approve of or whatever." But um, right. those are and I think. Pearl Jam's verses was another one that I listened to. It was like those three kind of like the 94, 95 yeah. um, year that um, that's when it started for me. And then eventually, I mean, I don't even think they even really like paid attention. Like once I got 16, 17, 18 or whatever. So, I mean, the stuff I, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say like a lot of them had stickers on it, but you know, if you are listening in a punk, I mean they're it's there somewhere, but right. um, I just make sure I just didn't blast it, you know. Yeah. If I if I if I ended up playing it, you know, uh just on the stereo without earphones or whatever.
2: Yeah. So, oh man.
3: Yeah. Well, what about you, Trev?
2: <laughs> well, I just remember
1: having conversations with my mom where I know she heard like um, if I was listening to Green Day, she was like, Thanks a lot. And then I'd be like, look, just because they cuss doesn't mean I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) cuss. But, you know, yeah, I mean, I think as you grow you know, in that age of being teenagers, we're just like every other teenager that, you know, you just start listening to whatever you can get your hands on that you think is awesome. You don't really care about that. And, uh, you know, eventually, yeah, you you realize that, yeah, you really don't cuss or you don't turn into a terrible person because you listen to, uh, you know, the implicit lyric you know, Alba,
3: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, true. I,
2: when I got uh, Rusty from Slick Shoes, I was still young enough that um, I guess my mom asked to look through the lyrics or whatever, and and I can't remember which song it was, but there's a line that says, a girl is a wall that no one can climb. And I oh, remember yeah. her <laughs> sitting me <laughs> down and asking me what I thought that meant, and I was like, I don't know, Mom. Like, just let me listen, you know. It's just... <laughs> So funny and awkward, and like this is, you know, it could be so much worse. Like, you don't need to worry about this band or whatever. But yeah, but I like, wonder, definitely. I wonder,
3: I wonder if 15 year old Ryan actually penned that, or if he, <laughs> if one of the other guys actually, <laughs> yeah, maybe like, his like, mom yeah. asked
2: him what that meant too. Who knows? Yeah, maybe
3: <laughs> <laughs> you want to know, it's funny. Uh, what's a lot of people don't know, um, is we kind of have a connection with Slick Shoes in a way it's kind of kind of funny um my brother actually after jackson left the band he uh he played a local show at them and then he played a cornerstone festival with them oh awesome Uh, yeah so and i think he was only 16 not even 17 yet but like um that's what i mean it was easy for him because he just learned all the songs like he could play by ear and just figured it out but and he was already playing those songs already and and they'd asked like around, and he's like, "Oh, I can do it." So, yeah. And yeah is, so, and Jeremiah, uh,
2: like, was your guys' original bass player, or what? What's the story behind that?
3: Oh no, 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 he wasn't. But if you remember, you know Rufio, right?
2: Oh yeah, the band Rufio. Yeah.
3: So John Barry, he played on the, our first record. Oh okay. And he, the reason why uh, Travis ended up in the band is um, we we recorded that record, the first record's called "In Our Time of Need." Yeah and um it was time to tour and i think it just turned into like 2000 i think we were going 99 into two yeah the year 2000 and um john was in school and he was like well i'm in school guys you know i i don't you know so we're like oh well we i mean we really some we kind of need to do so um at first we were gonna have because we we're going on tour noggin toboggan remember Nog, noggin toboggan oh yeah 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 they're yeah they're on the same label um and we're what's funny is their drummer had just quit. So I was going to play drums for them on the tour. So I was going to play drums for our band and their band. And then Jeremy, uh, Wells, who plays in Nogtabog and he plays bass. He was going to help us out and play bass for our band. But after, I think uh, they came down for a weekend and, um, he just didn't feel comfortable. And he was like, you guys might want to call somebody, you know, see if ask around, see if somebody else might want to like help you out on this tour. And then, um, that's when I think first thing we, me and my brother thought, I was like, well, let's call Travis. And I, but we were kind of apprehensive because he was already in a band. Oh,
4: okay. So,
3: so we almost didn't want to like kind of make waves, I guess, to step on toes, but we ended and eventually just ended up calling him and, um, asking him to, uh, I guess just like fill in. And then eventually after we we're done with the tour, I mean, we just had such a great chemistry and he was such an easy person to get along with and he played great. And, he just already kind of felt like he was already in the band, and then John ended up wanting to stay in school, so we just Travis just ended, ended up staying in the band, and um, the rest is the rest is history, I guess.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then there was like a really interesting split that, that basically happened. So, yeah. so I was playing in this old school band, morally accused, and the guy was in the band. His name was C.J. Alderson. Oh yeah, and CJ Alderson actually was starting to get into hardcore, and Morley accused this old school band was like kind of like a really rough punk uh, old school band. Like we did some screaming, and it like it was kind of like this fast, but then screaming, and like anyways, it was interesting. and It was really fun, but like he started getting into hardcore music, and and then we were like, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to play hardcore. But like, he like really loved it and was great at it. And then he like met, uh, he like met some guys and in, in like this hardcore scene, um, like uh, it was with Face Down Records and they played with like No Innocent Victim and like all these other hardcore bands. And I was like, uh, what am I going to do? Like, is this band going to keep going? And then that's kind of like it said, until that's like somewhere right around when he started doing some hardcore stuff i met the guys you know or i had known the guys from sick of change and they came to a show one night. and i remember it was so they were they stood right in front of me when i was playing on stage mm-hmm. and uh and i was i remember being really nervous because i'm like dude the guys from sick of change and they're like right in front of me so <laughs> <laughs> like they're watching me play but they were my friends too because i had already played shows with them we already hung out you know um, but then, yeah, uh, then after the show, they approached me and they're like, hey, we have this show up north and, you know, we need a fill-in bass player. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. So it kind of, I went my way uh, and CJ ended up in a band called Sinai Beach. They ended yeah. up getting signed. Um, they signed with Victory at one point. So, yeah, I think so. They signed with bass-
4: yeah. they ended up signing
1: with victory so it was crazy like so that band that band split and he went off that way i went a- my way and john went off to rupio so it's like
3: it's yeah it was a, crazy
1: yeah kind of a big split and we all stayed in music
3: but it was i crazy. totally i totally forgot that that was all going down on your end too that the whole uh you know morally accused basically just kind of being on the way out too yeah i <laughs> forgot about that
1: yeah, and guitar player Logan Lambert was actually in the band before that. We had an old school punk rock band called Split Second, and Logan was <laughs> in that band with us. So it this is stuff nobody knows. So I thought I'd throw out throw it out there for like a podcast because it was awesome. There's like really old pictures my mom has in a photo album, and it's like me and the guys from cyanide Beach in our band called Split Second, and uh, yeah, it's fun.
2: yeah that's awesome i love i love all that history and yeah just things that nobody would know know otherwise so that's really cool yeah so kind of going like maybe back a bit um like just timeline wise like what so before in our time of need came out what was kind of going on with the band how did you guys get signed and and put out that album and um you gotta just kind of talk a bit about that and the touring that happened after that
3: uh so we we formed in, I guess it would be the spring of 98. And it was me, my brother Andrew, um, playing guitar, and I was playing drums. And then we had a, a friend of ours, his name was Jake, his name is Jake Klein, and he played bass. Um, and he, knew, Andrew knew him from, from church. And we would just kind of mess around. We actually even messed around a little bit before that, probably like late 96 and the '97. And I think until we heard Slick Shoes, they never really, I don't know. It's like, it's like we couldn't really find our niche. Mm-hmm. But then once that record came out, we all were like, Oh wow, this is like, we should do something like this. Yeah. And that's where, that's where it kind of clicked. And the only reason why it waited till 98 was I was, I had, I, uh, I started school in late, uh, fall of 97. I went to Cal Baptist university it's in Riverside. And, um, I was just kind of, kind of appeasing the parents and just trying to figure out like, you know, what am I going to do? So no. I'm just going to go to school. And that, that was like one of the most miserable times of my life was hmm. going to school, like hating it. I don't want to be here. I just want to be playing music Yeah, and then work and then working, you know, a night shift at UPS. Um, uh, It's a shipping company here in America. I don't know. Uh, they probably, yeah, yeah actually they do, they, they do international. Okay. Yeah. They do. I forgot they do international, but, um, and just thinking, like, man, I just don't want to be doing this. I'd be playing music, and I finally was just like, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just gonna. I was actually even going to drop like halfway through the year. My mom said, "Yeah, I just finish," because what if you go back? At least you'll have the year done. I'm like, okay. Uh, it was tough to finish, but I did. And then we started. Yeah, I was like May ninety eight. Um, we had a few songs. Uh, we knew the Slick Shoes guys because we kept going to shows and talking with them, and it gets to two months later in July, and we're at uh, we went to go see them play in Redlands at uh, a old church we used to go to, and I remember Jackson talking about talking about a show that they were going to play the next week, and the promoter is like, I, I don't have an opening band, you guys know opening band, mm. and he, and then he, he and I vividly remember him just looking over us saying hey, you guys got a band. You guys want to play next week?
4: Oh, awesome.
3: And then that's where it really took off because there's a lot of people at the show. It was, it was outside at a park in Covina, uh, Covina Park, actually. And um, it was funny. I remember I used to have that thing on VHS. And I, I remember, I think I saw CJ And there. Did you go to that show, Trav? I think I did. Okay. Because yeah. I remember looking back and seeing like how many people we ended up knowing. either at that either at that point or at some later point just realizing like whoa we all these people were already there you know and they saw so yeah we played um so it was me Andrew and Jake we played and then and then they wanted the promoter wanted us back for the next week so the next week it was with the dingies oh nice and so the more shows we played the more connections we started making and eventually we ended up we ended up on a show um I can't it was like December 98 or January 99, but we ended up on a show with fan mail. Oh
4: yeah.
3: Um, it was a militia group show cause Chad Pearson, um, before militia group was record label, it was a management company for bands and he would book shows for like dogwood, slick shoes, Dingies. Um, there's probably, uh, probably some other one, maybe noise ratchet might've been one. Oh, yeah. Um, we were, we were good friends with those guys too. At one point, um, we toured a lot or we played a lot together. Um, and then but i remember scott soletta i mean being I, I was actually a plank guy fan as well and he came up to us i can't remember if it was during the show or after the show he said hey i really like your band i think i can help you guys out a bit you guys want to record a demo or something That's and awesome. i'm like i'm like this is i don't i don't know if he really <laughs> means this or not but i'm like y- okay well, yeah here's my number and literally like a few days later he called and said Um, I have studio time in like a week or two. So if you guys want to come down, you know, to orange County to Huntington beach and record at the green room, um, uh, you know, you guys more than welcome. It's like, Oh man, we got to do this. So we recorded the demo. I think we did five songs. It was on, it was to analog. The only time we did analog (laughs) as a band (laughs) is a demo. It's not even a record. Um, and so we did that, uh, turned out really good. Um, sent, that off to a bunch of record labels i think we probably got a couple letters back from really really small labels and, and i think we only send it to ones that were in the christian market
4: okay
3: I I, um, I I might have sent a couple to secular like maybe vagrant or maybe even lady luck which was i think trevor Kees imprint he's okay, he, yeah, cool. he's in face to face yeah i yeah. remember i remember he emailed me saying like i like your demo but it's i just don't have you know i can't really do anything with it yeah okay. um, i'll pass it on sort of deal um, but we eventually got a phone call from Betty Rocket Records, which is the company that we ended up signing with. Um, I think the main reason why we they 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 just felt real. I mean, they were they were a pretty small label and um, they didn't have a lot of money. But what what we did realize is they had passion.
4: Yeah.
3: And literally, the contract that we signed was like a one page contract. Hmm. Um. And it was like basically just in black and white and we didn't see any, anything, you know, sly about it. We didn't you know, it was just it was just honest it was just honest contract and we really liked the couple, uh the husband and wife that were running it. Um so we just ended up signing with them and uh uh and then we were ended up recording in July of yeah, July of ninety nine and then it eventually came out in November. So um and that record we recorded uh with and- andy ernst to record the first two green day records oh wow and he and he also did the first i think three or four afi records
2: oh that's
4: awesome
3: so so yeah we went up to the bay area to record that so that was a lot of fun
2: was there yeah. any uh, talk of, of trying to get on tooth and nail just with your connection with Slick Shoes? And
3: So, yeah, that's kind of a funny thing. Um, so I, I was telling you how Andrew played at Cornerstone Festival right. uh, in, in 99. So that would have been the first week of July. Then um, Scott was there. Fan Mail was there. They ended up playing as well. Now, we weren't playing at all. It was just Andrew playing with Slick Shoes, but... Scott kept, you know, talking to Brandon like, "Hey, hey, these, you know, I record these guys and their guitar players playing, you know, with slick shoes today." So he caught the show, and after catching the show, and I guess he listened to whatever dem- the demo we did. He was interested in signing us, but I don't. It didn't even really phase us because, um, hmm. because one, we're like, well, we're people of our word, and we made an agreement already. I think we had signed that contract probably two or three weeks uh, prior okay. to that. Yeah. So we already we already done the deal. Um, I mean, that's great and everything, but it's just, we just stuck to our guns. We just, you know, our word is our word and, and we stuck with it. So as flattering as it was and how sort of enticing as it was just to think about it, you know, uh, we just decided to stick where we were. So. Yeah.
2: And I'm sure, uh, Philip at, uh, um, at Betty rocket, you know, was, was obviously aware of, Of those interactions and i'm sure he you know was glad you guys stuck with them and and, yeah know maybe you would have got more exposure on tooth and nail or whatever but Mm -hmm. yeah it's um, did you guys ever have any of those kind of like what if moments of you know especially with these shattered lives i'm kind of getting ahead of myself here but Mm -hmm. you know like that that album especially like i don't know i i guess i'm just kind of you know maybe maybe it was bigger than I thought but I mean I don't remember seeing it as much you know whether it was promotion or advertising or whatever as mm-hmm. much as the tooth and elums and I was always just like man like these guys need more attention and so was there yeah. moments where you kind of like you know kind of had hoped for more or was it just uh, what it was?
3: I, th- uh, I think as I got older I looked back me personally and probably thought you know what if but um, he was always trying to license his bands because he had a connection at um, Warner Brothers. Okay. So there was always a chance that, you know, you might be able to break through and get a licensing deal and get more exposure. But what do you think, Trav? Like, do you have any what-ifs?
1: I mean, <clears throat> after... Well, I guess I... That's a t- tricky one. So... Okay, so let me just explain my side, and I think it'll answer that question. So when I was playing with the older, the old school punk rock band, and we were playing shows with Sick of Change, so you got to remember, at this point, like John Barry was actually playing for Sick of Change, and I was just, we were playing a lot of shows with these guys. So, yeah. So what happened was, like, I really kind of admired them, and I just thought, you know, hey, this is, they're really good, and and. I really like this band. And uh, never thought that I'd really get approached to even play for them. So when they got signed, I was kinda like jealous in a way. <laughs> this is I was like, wow, they're like the first band out of all the bands that we're playing with that like got an actual record deal. Um, where they were going in for studio and coming out with an album, like a full album with like artwork and everything that they didn't make, like, you know, on their own. <laughs> We were like still making our own type of recording. So,
3: you guys are Um, real punk rock.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, anyhow, yeah, I mean, so for me, like when I got to that point, I got to go into the band, like I didn't really care what label they were with. Um, Now, in hindsight, you know, what band doesn't want more, you know, marketing and advertising? And we did admire our lead. really admired a lot of the bands on Tooth and Nail at the time. You know, it was, that would have been awesome. But I was really thankful just from my standpoint to be like joining the band.
3: Yeah. So that, that answers it. That's a great answer. I like that answer.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so when in our time of need came out, like were you guys like hoping to pursue the band full time, like on the road, you know, most of the year? And or what, what was you guys' aspirations with that record?
3: yeah we wanted to play as much as possible and just yeah that's all we thought about that's all we did um yeah so that came out november 99 we went on tour february and march of 2000 so all we were really really thinking about was that first tour like oh we're going on tour and then um and i wish in hindsight that i probably would have pushed a little bit more to get on other tours and probably to be a little bit more busy but we kind of played like every weekend if we weren't on the road in some part of the country i mean we were you know we we're playing like northern california central california like southern california on a weekend you know we'd do just do like a weekend trip and just kind of go you know anywhere in the state but um yeah so we did that tour nog to uh and then I, probably a couple weeks after we got home this would have been like Uh, I don't know, like early April, Josh from Dogwood calls me because we had played, I think we'd played once or twice with them. I don't know if it was around when our record came out or before or after, I can't remember, but he wanted us to go on tour. So then we went and it was, and that would have, that would have been May. So literally on tour, February, March, and then go back on the road in May for like three weeks or whatever. You remember that trap? Yes, I do. (laughs) Yeah, that was a fun time. But I remember just thinking like, dude, we're going to, we're going on tour of the to- tooth and nail band. <laughs> and uh it was just cool. I th- more of the Conquerors had already come out and then I remember they had just recorded Building a Better Me and we got to hear it. So oh, they had nice. like they had the whole C D and like they let us like borrow it and listen to it on our van. Oh, and that's um, awesome. I remember thinking like, Man, this record's really good.
2: So what were those tours yeah. like back then? <laughs> Was it, you know, what you thought it was going to be or was it still, you know, kind of just smaller shows and just hustling? And because in my mind, like, as a teenager seeing, you know, there was you guys or bands like Dogwood, you know, in magazines. And I just assumed any band that was on a label or that had promotion was like a huge band. And then, you know, as I got older and got in a band myself and, you know, you realize, okay, like, just because you're signed doesn't really mean anybody cares like, you're getting more exposure, but it's not like you instantly have, you know, amazing tours being lined up and whatever.
3: Yeah. Um, what do you think, Trev? Well,
1: yeah, he's right.
3: <laughs> you don't.
1: <laughs> you don't. Like, uh, you don't have amazing tours like lined up and, and you're not going to be playing sold-out shows because, like, now is, like, the reality of the grind sets in. Yeah. And And we all felt that, I think, but it can be a little bit inconsistent out there in those times because we can show up to one city and there's just like all these kids that are super pumped to go see dogwood and maybe they didn't even know us or maybe vice versa. But then like this show's like packed out and it's like amazing. And then you'll go to the next city and another night. And then there's like 15 people standing
3: in the yeah, front aisle right. for sure. And you're like,
1: Oh, <laughs> so tonight is going to be
3: fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I think after going on that first tour, yeah, we realized like, oh, and and I don't think I really expect anything crazy because I mean we're on a small label. Both of our bands were on the same label. It was a small label. Our records had just come out, um, but yeah, I think I think I personally realized early on that it wasn't going to be easy and it was going to be a grind. But we were all okay with that. Yeah, we just we just wanted to play. We just. We just wanted to see the country and play that's all we wanted to do and when you have a goal or if you have if you have a desire to do something like you just do it so
1: yeah yeah and yeah. it was always super fun it was just so yeah, fun. all i remember was like i didn't care if it was a sold out show or there was the 15 people like we just always went off as hard as we could and played yeah we did yeah like as hard yeah. as we could We'd be dripping in sweat, and we didn't care if
3: anybody was there or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, that's how I felt about it. Yeah, we just went out there and played. I don't think there was ever a time we mailed it in. Or at least not. At least that I <laughs> that I recall. I yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a uh, you know a path that you have to be passionate about because if you're just basing it off how you feel that night or you know the vibe from the crowd whether it's there or not like. Right, you yeah. want to be playing music. That's that's what you got to do to to get out there and do it. So,
3: it's true. Yeah, yeah. used did, to it.
2: Did that touring kind of ever change, or was it more or less like that the whole time you guys were banned, or it was just kind of up and down? And well,
3: were it maybe some it standout
2: like shows or tours?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it changed. Uh, Travis said he thinks it changed. I thought that it did too. It seemed like seemed like things, especially when the second record came out, because we knew it was good, and I think people were realizing it was good, and I think people started to show up a little bit more,
2: I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was the process, kind of, so, you know, the tour cycle ends from um, in our time of need, and, and you guys had just been riding on the road kind of thing, or how did that kind of transpire going into <laughs> <right>?
3: <laughs> What are you laughing about, Travis? I'm laughing? laughing
1: because the turnaround on it was like zero
2: time. <laughs>
3: yeah, pretty much. Well, I think what Travis, I think we had what All You Are was a new song. And I think we played it on the Dogwood tour, I think. Yeah. And then eventually we got Thoughts That Defile. But what I remember is we had scheduled some time to go in like early December of 2000 to go record that record. And I remember it gets to November and like I'm a, I am wrote the lyrics, like half the lyrics and Kevin usually wrote the other half. And then Andrew would probably write a little bit. Of lyrics for some other songs, but none of us really wrote music. I don't, I know I didn't. Trap, did you ever like have ideas or?
1: Well, like Andrew and I, like Andrew would, he'd come up with a lot of the main, you know, guitar riffs and stuff. And obviously, when you listen to, when you go into these Shattered Lives, like it's super guitar rift, like yeah. heaven's like over the place. But so yeah. he would just come in and kind of show me the guitar, and then we would. Yeah, we would write the bass and guitar to kind of match up uh, for the mm-hmm. most part, but then yeah. you guys would be doing some of this, and Andrew and I would be like, okay, we're just
3: going to be over here polishing this off. But, yeah, um, I I distinctly remember, because I couldn't remember like your guys' process, but I do remember that I think all we had was those two songs going into November. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like as far as completed songs and i think we we you know we had what endless thoughts of you was an old song that didn't make we didn't put on the first record but we ended up just putting it on the second one so i guess that's three songs but um yeah, i just remember andrew just like in the clutch and that month before we went in and him and travis or you know him working with travis i guess and just knocking all out in like a three or four week period well
1: wow. yeah like so, andrew yes. andrew like locked himself in a room to come up with a lot of this stuff and then, yeah yeah I, I didn't i really I, I couldn't even take credit for like as much work you know that andrew did yeah. in those times and then i just came in a, just to
3: help really yeah <laughs> that's the he, honest truth yeah i remember yeah and like you were saying it was it's just so good guitar driven there's just a lot of technical stuff i remember I liked everything. And one, I think the thing, the, the guitar lead for The Shattered Lives, like when I heard that, I was like, man, that's like new territory for him. It just, it sounded like a, like we're going, like, are oh, we already going a different direction, like a more elaborate direction. And it almost felt like a gateway to the next record hmm. as far as like how that guitar, how his guitar playing was changing and just like uh, how hooky, it was like really hooky.
4: Yeah.
3: Like his leads are just, I don't know where he comes up with this stuff, but <laughs> but uh yeah, especially when we're hearing that I'd be like, dang Yeah. Like like we were we lay this stuff down, like I can't wait to hear it, you know.
2: Yeah, it's such a good album. Like when I put it on now, you know, even after eighteen years, like it's just I don't know, it, it's so good. All the songs stand out and you know, onto their own and what was uh, Rich, what was that like recording drums on that album? Because the drums are crazy fast on there
3: oh man was that Um, to a click track no (laughs) i never used a click track i probably should have so it wasn't (laughs) even like edited to
2: a click track it was just that's just how Um, it was
3: no it was just live um i actually so we mapped out like how like what instrumentation we were going to do i think so we mapped it out where the first few days were going to be me and i i think the third day or maybe even the fourth day was going to be travis and then so we always did bass drums and then guitar and then vocals
4: oh and
3: then and then there'll be guitar and then but we the record company was going to pay for a certain amount of days like i think they gave us a certain amount of days it was like six or no i I don't even know what it was but we ended up paying for the other half because we we knew we needed more time so we went out of pocket on like half the record but um but i remember the first day being like or the night before, I just remember sleeping like crap. Like, I was too anxious, I was mm-hmm. too, like, nervous, excited, all those things, and I think I probably kept one track from that first day. So I basically banged out the rest of them on <laughs> the second day, but wow. um, the, only, uh, the only track I remember keeping from that first day was Feels Like Eternity, um, and I think that probably, to me, feels like my tightest drumming on the record is probably that song. Um. But yeah, everything else I had to get it done the second day cuz we I was just hating everything the first day and I didn't I just didn't sleep well so I was just wasn't I was just wasn't all all there or whatever but um yeah, just but it was fun. <laughs> Once yeah. I got all my stuff out of the way, I was like, "Okay, you guys go ahead and take it home, you know." Yeah. So,
2: One thing yeah. that uh, really stands out to me on this album is the lyrics. I always always thought you guys kind of touched on you know subjects that a lot of other punk bands you know weren't weren't singing about then whether it was you know abortion or pornography or you know some of those subjects what was I don't know if either of you guys um wrote any of the lyrics on on that album, but uh, yeah, I would love to hear some kind of insight on what your thoughts were going into that record, kind of what you wanted to to say uh, lyrically on there
3: um, I think if you listen to the first record it's a lot about it seems like it's a lot about just like your uh um, one's walk you know in their faith like yeah. walking with god or walking with jesus or whatever but i think for me the second record i think it tackles like issues of like lust and abortion and like brokenheartedness and um there, I mean, there is some introspectful like walk with God stuff on on that second record, but I think we did tackle more issues. Uh, I don't, I think, and I wrote the one that comes to my mind is the first track, which is "Thoughts of Defile," and it is about oh, so less and j- j- just me struggling with that. Yeah, and I know, and I know everybody struggles. I mean, if you're a human being, you know, you struggle with some aspect of it. Right. So um, that was that's one that really jumps out to me lyrically um and i remember i know kevin wrote kevin wrote the one uh called holding poison it's about abortion um which is actually now that i read the lyrics now it's like wow that was really like (laughs) in your face and i don't know if we if we play these days i don't know if we would play that song but um i don't you know while i while it's something that i personally believe in i'm more i'm pro-life it's still like really in your face and I don't know if we would play it <laughs> these yeah. days. But did you guys but, ever yeah, get um,
2: backlash on, on your lyrics? Um
3: I think Trav, do you remember the time we played a bend Oregon? I think we're on tour dog, but I think somebody mentioned something from the crowd about it. We played we played that abortion song. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Actually I do. I
3: do remember a couple
1: nights where people definitely yeah. said some things like, to the show, but we in that time, like for whatever reason, like that just the time, and we just wanted to be bold and yeah. just you know. I mean, I didn't write any of the lyrics, but I loved supporting. I don't know, just being. Bold. It's exactly like Rich said. We may not even play that song if we play it right now, but we were really young and we were just like in bold. We were just getting out there, and we yeah. we yeah. wanted to stand for something more, and it seemed on. A- you know what it seemed like to me in our in our realm? A lot of, Maybe this is a great thing to say on the podcast, but or maybe <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Just but it, say it seemed like a lot of bands were tiptoeing on being a Christian band. It was like, you know, I don't know, uh, maybe I want to be a secular band and maybe I want to like go off and do this and I want to sign a big record label over here and... You know that always came up. It was always like, "Well, what do you guys are like really Christian, aren't you?" And I was like, "Well, we just have our Christian." Is is that a bad thing? And then it was like, "We want to be bold and we want to make a difference." And yeah, maybe we were young. Maybe we said some yeah. things too that we would definitely word them different now. But we were just trying to be proud of being a Christian and saying like, "Like, we don't want to stand for things that are." You know, we feel are wrong, and we want things you know to be good. And you know, we were we had the right heart. We just delivered it. Yeah,
3: yeah, execution might have been a little, <laughs> a little harshly. Up.
1: Yeah,
3: but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I don't think we heard so much backlash because I think well, most of our our gigs were in the Christian market. Um, we'd occasionally play in a general market show. Um, yeah, that's true. I think that's probably why it didn't come up so much. And I think yeah, that's fair. I think also also being the early two thousands, like at that time I don't think it was so it's like nowadays there's definitely backlash for even remote even remotely being like conservative or right-wing especially here in America um but back then I don't think it I don't know I just don't think it was that much but there's people that there's a lot more people nowadays that that don't see things that way so yeah these days it would be definitely definitely different
1: yeah you know what you know what else is really interesting and i've talked to my wife about this before but it's like it's almost kind of sad that we weren't really around when social media was booming because yeah (laughs) like we would have a lot of stuff like hashtags and saved and instagram and like these like we have short clips and videos like all over the web and yeah I mean i could i could bet you we'd have tons of backlash because people on the internet you know they don't have a face they can just you That's know true. attack a band and say whatever they want but we didn't really have to deal with any of that so That's it's true. kind of interesting
3: yeah. yeah
2: well i remember the the first first time i heard you guys uh, was this album actually and it was the the song thoughts defile and it just instantly just caught my attention and it's just such a great great opening song on the album and and, uh, I mean, yeah, the whole album is just fast and melodic and super catchy. And, um, yeah, and I, and I love that, that it had, you know, the lyrical content that I did. And, you know, I remember being, you know, challenged by it and kind of thinking, like, man, like, these guys, they got something to say. I want to I wanna read these liner notes and, you know, try to figure it out, what it is that what they're trying to say. So I, I thought that was really a cool thing for you guys to do. So good for you guys. Yeah. So you had yeah. mentioned before... Um, about like what the next record was going to be, um, so maybe what like what what kind of happened after after these shattered lives. <laughs>
3: um, it was, uh, it, I think we were get I think we were getting tighter as a band, I think, and we were playing more. Uh, we wanted to kind of like play not so many probably Christian industry shows and we just wanted to branch out and see if maybe we could cross over. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of burnout Mm. and, 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 and I think there's probably like chemistry wise, like, I mean, personally, I don't, I don't think we were in a good spot as far as, um, at least now looking back at it, I, there was, uh, the last tour we did, which would have been like July, August of 2001 on that touring cycle. Um, I felt like it was, we were just getting burned out. And then I, I got, <laughs> I got in a fight with Kevin. Um, I can't even remember, I can't even remember what it was before, but I, I personally feel like that night that the fight happened, like we didn't, it wasn't like physical or anything. It was just all verbal. Yeah. But it just felt like after that point, like it just kind of was dying.
4: Mm.
3: And I think, and you know, when we, we you know fast forward to like january and my brother i could just tell that he's not really into it and he mentions it at a practice and says you know like i i don't know if i want to do this anymore or even play this kind of music anymore or whatever i can't remember exactly verbatim what what he said but um he was like well we, i think we had a show scheduled for that month uh and that which would actually end up being our last show um he's like let's do the show and i don't know i'll just figure it out it's like if we're gonna keep doing this and that just ended up being it like we never really got around to i guess you know you know we never got around to to keep it going yeah Um, he, he just did i just he just wasn't into it anymore what do you remember trav
1: well i was gonna i was gonna ask you rich I kind of feel like we were growing, like growing old, but like really early. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was like, it was like I don't know if I want to, you know, drive around in a van forever and like be a musician. And, um, <laughs> like our music, sort of like um, we were not as punk rock. We were like coming up with some like it was like leaning towards rock and some sort of pop. Yeah. some like rich was listening to like every single day in the band <laughs> <laughs> dude they were they back they were back sorry <laughs> <laughs> and like we were like our our music was maturing like really fast almost like too fast to where it was like yeah yeah we want to make different music and then that that's kind of bad for a punk rock band if you can imagine you know yeah. it's we worked
3: um, my, with some with some new stuff that was actually pretty sweet i really liked it yeah
1: <laughs> yeah I agree. We yeah. we had like started writing side songs that were they weren't even punk rock, man. It was like cold play met keen. Yeah. <laughs> we thought it was awesome, but it would like it wouldn't have survived on the label and it wouldn't yeah. have been like yeah. what everybody it wouldn't have been what everybody wanted to do.
3: Yeah, yeah. After we stopped playing Sick of Change, yeah, me, Andrew and Travis, we started jamming on our own and doing something different. Yeah, that's what Travis is talking about, yeah. And I think yeah, we so, actually recorded something in the living room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that but, was
1: right afterwards, but yeah, so yeah. it kinda I went in out of order there, but yeah, it definitely like started coming in. Yeah. You did
2: know you, what we like our taste. Did you guys do a final show or was it just kind of fizzled out and figured that was it? Yeah,
3: yeah we Yeah, we did a Yeah, we favorite. just that, we just did that last show, yeah. That one that he was like well we'll do the show and then figure it out and that was it that was the show wasn't um, that the glass house show in pomona yeah it was and um we actually the last show we played was with the canadian band thousand foot crutch yeah Ooh, yeah uh, i don't
2: know if that's good or bad
3: <laughs> <laughs> no it was good they they uh they actually were like oh man you guys are breaking up you guys are good and we're like well you guys are great too and uh it was a good show but yeah i yeah it was sad um i don't know just uh, I I think people had always approached us after we broke up like you guys need to get back together and at least play like a reunion show or something and um, I don't know I why didn't why did we never do that
1: <laughs> I don't know man like I think it's just trying to get on the same page a lot of times like I've always said this about being in a band it's like being in you know four different relationships and matching everything. It's hard enough to be in one relationship, right? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. like, imagine trying to get everybody all on the same page and feeling like you go for the thing. Um, I don't know. I just don't feel like it ever came together, but it wasn't like anybody was ever completely really against it. It just
3: didn't, you know, getting it to line up yeah. you know, didn't really work. And I, And I think the further we got out from it, I think, at least, I think me, you, and Kevin we're like uh, we're, we're either neutral or like for it I think and the first week we got out Andrew was like ah, I don't know like nobody's gonna show up it's been you know <laughs> it's been like 15 years or something or, or 10 years And you know, my thing was always like people will show up it might not be like it might not be a thousand people but at least maybe yeah. there'll be a couple hundred people you know and maybe mm-hmm. we, I always thought like well we could play with you know another band that I mean Slick Shoes is always still playing so right. <laughs> maybe we jump on but uh, yeah I don't know it just never happened. It we never really all remember we never all really like even like talked about any of that stuff. It was just mm-hmm. like, well, we're just not playing anymore. You know, I wish I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We
1: also ended up we ended up far away from each other too. Like I was, I went off traveling in Europe, and I don't know. Like the boys, yeah, ended up doing their thing. I mean, I can't even remember at that point, Rich, and then I. But I know, you know andrew went his way you went your way kevin went well kevin ended up in riverside which is interesting because that's where i grew up
3: <laughs> yeah it's true
1: but yeah, yeah i ended up in san diego and and stuff for a while so yeah we were we were spread out
3: yeah and i ended up in orange county for a bit and now i'm up here in central like central coast california and now travis is in portland oh cool <laughs> yeah
2: oh i was just so it's there not just summer. a weekend thing yeah <laughs> Well, that, that seems pretty common once, you know, one guy in the band kind of seems to be done, that it's just, it's too hard to kind of make things happen. And sometimes yeah. it's not worth it. Sometimes it is. It just, yeah. but, you know, I guess sometimes it just is what it is. So.
3: And you can't replace that guy because he's one of a kind.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, guys, I feel like I could, I got all sorts of other questions, and maybe we can uh, leave that for a follow up episode. To, <laughs> um, yeah, I would love to, to kinda hear maybe each of your, you know, top three punk records um, to kinda wrap this up and yeah, whether it was oh. albums that you know first. I knew you were gonna to ask that or, question.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I have mine, but no, Travis, if you don't have yours, it's okay.
2: <laughs> I don't I mean, honestly, like
1: I've even thought about that and I don't even think I could put something I couldn't even put three out there and really be like say it was legit. I was just listening to everything.
2: <laughs> I could
1: yeah, get my hands on it was good <laughs> I yeah. would actually listen to like an old school band like Officer Negative which was like an old school oh, yeah. Christian punk rock band and yeah. then the next day I'd be listening to like Jimmy World Clarity and then I'd be listening to like Dr. Dre the next day okay. <laughs> it's,
3: it's <laughs> Trav Multi yeah
2: no, that's <laughs> awesome yeah I guess it doesn't have to necessarily be top three punk Like, yeah just anything that kind of influenced you guys yeah it's awesome yeah I
3: have one for you, Rich. Uh, I mean, I I already had answers. It was good to just be for like punk albums. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, go yeah, go for it. (laughs) Um, so obviously, uh, Dookie is a huge one. So it'd be Dookie. It would be Twisted by Design by Strung Out. Oh, so good. And uh, the third one was kind of tough because, but I think I'll probably just put Saves the Day through Being Cool as number three.
4: Yeah.
3: Um. I really like their "Stay What You Are" record, but that's more of like a kind of a just a like a rock emo record, right? Yeah, you know, it's not really very punk, except for maybe the last track. But uh, yeah, you know.
2: yeah, that's one of those bands that influenced a lot of punk bands. So in yeah. that regards, yeah, I I still kind of classify them as a punk band, even though yeah. they haven't been for many years. But you know, that's kind of what people first got into them. It's really true. Like, so. Yeah. But, yeah well guys, thanks so much for doing this like seriously made made my day you know i you were on my list of bands that you know I would have loved you know or yeah you that know, I really wanted to talk to and kind of hear more backstory and I know you know there's others that that want to hear that too, so I'm excited to get this out there and yeah for people to kind of get to hear uh, more about either the band that they missed out on or a band that they loved or a band they can go back and listen to so yeah, yeah. it's on it's it's
3: on all the streamings, guys. <laughs> yeah awesome <laughs> both records um I, I i just need to apologize to travis i feel like i talked way more than needed and <laughs> <Nah. laughs> i
1: i'm really thankful for the experience and just you know yeah i wanted to express my gratitude it is nice even though it is like 15 years later uh it's nice and, and we did all love each other in sick of change and we had a really good yeah, cool time it we was did. and tours were awesome and it was it was still to this day you know one of the best experiences that I've ever had in
3: my life. And it's a big part of like,
1: you know, who I am today. So, yeah, yeah,
3: Plus. yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I want to thank you as well. Um, I, one of the things I like to do is listen to podcasts and I hear people tell their stories and I'm like, Oh man, I, I almost want to email <laughs> this podcast so that we could tell our story. But I mean, I, I just never, but it's cool that you reached out to us, you know, to, to, you know, ask us questions. And cause I mean, there really is nothing else out there. from us you know other than records uh i don't
2: even think we have a wikipedia so
3: no yeah we yeah we i don't yeah we don't (laughs) so it's yeah it's the biggest band without a wikipedia you ever heard of no i'm just kidding